There's nothing about safety that's a trade secret. If there's something we can share that can protect someone, we should always share it. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Mark French, Senior Health, Safety, and Environmental Manager at Dalkia Energy Solutions. Mark is also owner of TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting and a fellow podcast host of a show called Leading and Learning Through Safety, which I'm certain you'll want to check out after hearing him speak today. And if that's not enough, Mark is also an EMT, a certified safety professional, and earned an MBA and a PhD in Industrial and Organizational Psychology. I am tired of just going through all that. I don't know how you made it through all of it to get those accreditations. How are you? Thank you so much for being here, Mark. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a great show. Really good to have you here. And our focus today is your philosophy behind why organizations should view safety as a service, which I love that saying. But before we begin, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your career and your current role at Dalkia Energy Solutions? Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah. You know, when I first came into the safety industry, I really wasn't sure that safety was what I wanted to do. My background was actually in chemistry and I got lucky and ended up with a clerk position working with a safety manager and a lab manager. And I was so focused on being a lab person that I got lucky and had a fantastic mentor that led me into the safety realm. So I went into the chemical industry for a while. As that industry fluctuated a little bit, I was able to join Amazon and also Wayfair later on as a regional safety manager. And then a friend of mine, a good colleague of mine who had worked with me in the food industry was looking at this organization called Dalkia, and it's actually owned by EDF out of France, which is their large electrical utility. They were making a big jump into the U.S. market, and they had acquired a couple of other businesses and were combining it, and it was big enough that they needed someone in safety, and he reached out to me. He and I always had a very people-centric philosophy for safety when we had worked together, and so I was really excited and couldn't resist getting back in line with him. Dalkia is an energy efficiency company. We go in, we help with any type of energy efficiency needs, but also now we have cogeneration capabilities and we also have started doing some street lighting in major cities. So a lot of it is our conservation, which is from a safety guy's heart. It's fantastic that I'm working for a company that cares about the environment and is actually out there actively seeking ways that we can reduce our carbon footprint. We can use less energy. So really good fit and really excited. Only been with the organization for a few months, but a lot of great things we've seen happen so far. That's fantastic. I'm always fascinated when people study one thing, but then develop into a career in a different field. So when you think about your background in chemistry, does that influence how you think about safety? It does. It gave me a very practical-minded, very logical walk through the process. And I think it also was a detriment to me early on because I was so analytical. I mm. wanted to find, here's your regulation. Here's what you did wrong. Now you need to fix it. And it was later on that I really started developing the people side of what I do, where I actually realized, that, okay, this, this isn't analytical. These are people. And I have to care about 
people. And that took a, a few mentors also to help me and kind of bridge that gap from being a nerdy science guy into someone who didn't mind talking to people and getting out there and trying to find solutions to help people's lives. Yeah, that's great. Well, what do you consider to be unique about your approach to safety that really attracts these industry-leading companies you mentioned? I think a lot is, and I think a lot of safety people understand this, but it's hard to do sometimes in industry because we're so used to looking at metrics and looking at our process and our engineering. It's easy to forget that it's about people. And at first you hear about behavioral safety. Everybody hears about behavioral safety. Let it be a behavior. And that was something I also believed that I could change the behavior, walk in, hey, you're doing something wrong. You should fix it. It was later on that I realized that it's really about motivation. Mm. It's about that safety is a core motivator for people. And if you're not motivating them to be safe, they're not going to have the behaviors to be safe. I mean, especially early in my career, I was very much the angry, write you up safety professional. Like I was, had my ticket book, I had my regulations and I was going to get somebody today because that was the way I was going to prevent them from getting hurt. It didn't work very well long-term, short-term fantastic gains because people are scared of you. And then they realize that, well, they can't be scared all the time. Yeah. And so you have to give that empathy. You have to show that we want you to be motivated to be safe, not just us influencing that end behavior. And I think that's what really made me different was that I was willing to say, every metric we have, it's easy to say we have a 3.14 recordable rate. What does that mean? Does it mean that we hurt three people? Even three people are too many to be hurt. And we have to really humanize that aspect of safety. Even though it's a core metric for most companies, it's also a person. That's right. People really have to understand the why behind things. And I think they tend to get on board and they have to know that it's not me versus you. It's us. It's we. And when they know it's a team and they know the why behind it, it's amazing how people just light up and they're like, oh, okay, I'll start doing that. Yeah, it is amazing to watch people come together and say that once we have that safety feature, we can become a team and that team effort can progress what we're doing. So being relatively new to Dalkia, what are some of the common safety challenges you faced when you first arrived? One of the most interesting challenges that I really enjoyed about joining Dalkia was the idea that they were growing. They had started off as this core business of energy conservation. They had added in their manufacturing for cogeneration, but also had the street lighting that they had taken over for in New Mexico and very large long-term projects. And one of my core philosophies, and this was taught to me by someone who said, look, there's nothing about safety that's a trade secret. If there's something we can share that can protect someone, we should always share it. And so I've always thought of safety as something that's universal. And so I wanted to be one of those first bridges or that first umbrella that could join everything together and say, okay, we have one safety system. No matter what you're doing in Dalkia, we need to talk the same safety language and we should be sharing hazards or hazards. And the way that we motivate people, the way that we gain our traction and our trust with people is all about speaking that same language. One of the first items that, that I really noticed, though, was that we're in little pods around the entire country. So I wanted to look at big risk. You look at what's your electrical risk? What's your lockout tagout risk? What are these, these big serious incidents and fatality potential events? And how are we going to mitigate them? They had a lot of really good practices in place. But one of the items that I really was concerned about was the fact that we're spread all over the country. Even though we have a headquarters in the Northeast, all of our workers are wherever we need them to be in any state, 
in anywhere in the U.S. into any city. And it was one of my concerns was lone worker safety, especially because I'd seen that in the chemical industry. I'd seen it locally where lone workers had an incident or had something and they had no way to get help to Mm. them. And so one of the first issues I really wanted to address was how do we make sure we know our team is okay? How do they know that wherever they are, wherever they've sent them, they can get the help they need. And that's really what led me into looking for solutions for lone worker safety. And how do we make sure that they are monitored and taken care of? Because that's a huge risk. And it's also something that I think psychologically, if your team always thinks they're just out there by themselves on an island, never being followed up with or cared for, there's something about that where, yeah, my company just sends me wherever. They don't care. Well, no, we do care. We absolutely want to equip you with anything that shows you that we care no matter where you are. And we want you to be prepared wherever you're going. And I think that was one of the big systems we wanted to put into place to tell our team that we got their back all the time. And how did they receive that message? Do they like that approach to safety? At first, they were a little scared mm-hmm. of it. I don't think some had been used to, well, here's somebody watching out for me. At first, it was the idea of big brother. Big brother's watching right. me all the time. No, no, that's that's not what we want. You can just turn the application off. If you don't like it, turn it off. Don't use it if you're at home. But while you're at work, we do care. And I think a lot of it also has been, I've done a lot of traveling in my first few months for sure, because I think putting a face to a name and a fist bump together in, in the days of COVID here, making sure that they know that I'm human. I know they're human. We all have similar interests. And that interest for sure is that there's people at home that want us at home and we want to get there the best way we can and enjoy all the things. I mean, we work every day, not because we just absolutely love working. I love my work. I love what I do, but I mean, if I didn't have to make money, I probably wouldn't be doing it. So (laughs) we want that opportunity to enjoy all those things we do outside of work because we're safe at work. That's right. And to your point, not only do the employees suddenly feel like they're more valued and protected, but oftentimes their families appreciate that too. And they know that the company is looking out for them. I hope so. I mean, that's where the next trickle down approach happens is that you really do hope that someone learns something at work, encounters something at work or gets a feeling at work that they take home and share. And that's where you've really started building that culture because now not only am I learning about safety, I'm starting to teach it. So anything that can tie it back to that idea that safety is something we can take with us everywhere all the time. Yeah. As a previous guest of mine said, safety should really become a value that you have. And when it's a value, it just permeates everything that you do as opposed to just something you have to do. That's right. Because priorities can change. Our number one priority today can be at number two tomorrow. But when you have a core value, just like you said, it's something that's forever. That's right. And that's part of it, what you do. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's talk about this idea of why organizations should think of safety as a service. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. That's an idea that frustrated me very early on in my career, for sure, because as a safety professional, we have so many customers. The first one is our team, the people that we are out there trying to guide and help and find processes for, we're a service to them. We want them to come and ask those questions. We want our team members, especially if they're out in the field or they're doing something new, we want to be that service that come to us with your problems. Don't be afraid of me judging you or telling you you should have done it different or punishing you for what you're doing because 
you're in the real world out there. I'm sitting comfortably behind a desk. I should be able to help you. I need to be that service. But the organization that we work for also wants us to be hopefully their conscience. They want us to be able to stand up and say, here's the right way to do it. Here's not the right way to do it. Here's the legal approach. Here's the not so legal approach. We want to make sure we're that service too. And that balance is sometimes very interesting from a safety standpoint, because you might have different pressures coming in from different aspects. The company may have an expectation of, I just want you to reduce injuries, where your people are looking for you to actually not just reduce an injury. They want you to protect them. They want you to to stand up and say, no, just because this is working now doesn't mean it works tomorrow. We have to find a way to enable, prepare, engineer, whatever we need to do to be that service. Because that's the only sustainable way to do it is that everybody's going in that same direction. We're all working toward that same goal, but I'm a service. I don't make a product. I don't do anything that's making a company profitable. But what I'm trying to do in the background is achieve everything they need so that they can be profitable and have a good reputation and have engaged people. Because the first metric that people look at a lot of times is safety. And it's a people metric. And it's all about how your people are engaged. Without a doubt. And clearly, if people don't feel safe at work, then they can't focus on being productive and they're less productive if they feel unsafe. So that's where it all starts. Yeah, I actually heard one of your talks about that, where you said that if there's not safety there, that's a distraction. That distraction only leads to more incidents. And so it's important that they have that core foundation. And on one of your podcast episodes, you talked about how creating a sustainable safety culture really requires both creative thinking and integration. What did you mean by that specifically? I think early in my career, when I was safety cop, I thought that was what I was supposed to be doing. Just going around and, and getting people in trouble and telling them when they were yeah. wrong. <laughs> when really it's it's so much more than that. An organization really wants me to be creative thinker. They want me to walk in, look at a situation. And that's what I love about what I'm doing now in Dalkia is that I'm going into all these client sites before we begin step one of construction. And we're looking at where we're going to be working, what we're going to be doing. And we have to get the job done. We, we've agreed that we can help our client reduce their environmental footprint. And we want to do that. But we also want to protect our team when they're doing it. So one of the items we have to do is look at what are the regulations? What are the best practices that are out there? And how do we put those in place that approaches our team and assures that they can do it. And so there's a lot of creative thinking. It's easy to look at the regulations and just go, nope, shut it down. We're done today, fellas. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do that work because it's unsafe. It takes more to look at it and go, okay, we can do it legally. We can do it safely. And we take feedback from our team to find the solution to do the work that we can get the work done. We can do it right. And we can do it safely. And it's a lot about building that trust so that your team is willing to raise their hand and say, this doesn't seem right. And let's talk about ideas. And so it's an open forum. And I think also creative thinking also means that you don't always have the right answer. And that creative thinking is a group process, not just a mark process. Mm -hmm. And that's important. And then you have to really make sure the team has the follow through. Did we buy what they needed and requested? Did we follow up to assure they're following the processes that we put into place and making sure that that is 
integrated from the top down. Yeah, I really like this idea of as a service, because in my industry, in technology, you have software as a service that's really grown up over the last 20, 25 years. And that's because people finally realized, I don't really just want to buy the software one time and let it just sit there. It's going to change. The software is going to grow. And what I'd rather do is just sign up for something that is continuously watched and improved over time. And that's a great way for safety professionals to look at what they do. It's not static. It's very dynamic. And you've got to think of it as a, a service that has a, a feedback loop, and it's going to keep getting better over time. Absolutely. And you look at the diversity in our workplace right now compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago, even like the generational gap, yeah. not just all the other. And it's a lot of preparation to make sure you found the right motivational keys to engage all the diversity we have, which is so exciting because now we're really getting to dip into a lot of motivational processes to try to find that motivation for this workplace. Oh yeah. All those different generations. <laughs> oh yeah. And each of them are very different in what motivates them. Yes, indeed. Well, what exercises do you guys conduct with safety leaders for how to better engage their workforce around safety? I think the first one that you really have to think about is rehumanizing safety. So many times in very technologically driven workplaces where you have instantaneous data, a name can easily become a production rate or a quality rate, or how many days did you miss? And who do I have to fill into your spot if you're not there? And when are the break periods? It's easy to make it look like a chart rather than a human being who wants to go home and pet their dog and play with their kids and maybe go bowling that mm -hmm. evening. So the first step is to really get to know your team again and encourage them. It's okay to ask, how are you doing? How are things happening? I love your new car. I, I, hey, I noticed you have a new haircut. That's cool. You want to rehumanize them. Step one, because that's so important that they don't forget that we're managing people yeah. and people want to feel safe. One of my fun things I like to do, and it's a baited question, but you bring everybody in the room and you go, hey, standard lean theory, we have safety, quality, delivery, and cost. Map out how many hours you spend of your eight hour shift on safety. Give me a percentage or a number. How many for quality delivery and cost? And then you kind of ho-hum and talk about that for a minute. And then you say, so what's number one? What's our number one priority? What's our core value here? And everybody's like, oh, safety, uh -huh. safety. <laughs> okay, well, look at your time. Did you, if it's number one, is that where all your hours went today? Oh, mm -hmm. no, usually it's delivery and cost. Yeah. I mean, that's usually where most people are spending their time. And once they get a laugh at it, hopefully not get offended by what you've just done to them, you can start to integrate the idea that it's only a couple of minutes every time you make an interaction. You walk by someone, you look around and go, do you have everything you need right now to be safe? Do you need a new bottle of water? Hey, I noticed these boxes are in the way. Let me clear your area for you. Little things, those little pieces that build trust go such a long way. And most of the time, if you every hour walked around and found one person and spent two minutes with them and not even just talking about safety, just talking and being a human being with them, you start to build that trust and it starts to build that motivation of where someone goes, man, my supervisor really cares about me. They talked to me today for two minutes about something that mattered to me, or they helped me clean my area or brought me a bottle of water. What was the investment? About two minutes every hour. And it goes such a long way in creating the idea and that feeling that we have a safe workplace. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we'd like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide the listeners with a practical tip or piece of advice they can take back to their organizations to make an immediate impact. So with that in mind, what can the audience do today to help improve their safety program? There's never enough investment in a good safety committee because they are your your voice. They are your eyes. They are your ears out into the workplace. If you can grab a few people who have that passion for safety and engage them and empower them and let them go out and also be your voice to start caring about people, they can bring that information back because they're living that life. So I really encourage the first thing to do is, is grab a few people, call them your safety committee, give them some ability, give them some empowerment, give them some time to go out and help you find items to fix and let them engage, let them be your extension of everything that you care about in that culture. You know, I've tried to put together groups before to solve issues, and they didn't always work out so well for a variety of reasons. So with that in mind, what are things you would avoid when trying to put together a group like this? I think the first step is to make sure that it's not just a sit in a conference room and complain meeting, because that is the first step I've always found that a safety committee fails. And I've been on that end of it where I've pulled everybody together and said, oh, yeah, you're my safety committee. Let's have a meeting. And I brought donuts and everybody's eating donuts and drinking coffee. And I have a list of like 80 things now that they don't like that is on me to go fix. I think the most effective means of a safety committee is one, finding those who have a passion for it, or maybe those who are already creative thinking. They're already, you can tell they're the ones who are kind of leading that effort of finding solutions and walk with them. Take them on a tour with you in a small group and let them guide you and let them talk about the solutions rather than just sitting behind a desk and uh, having the donuts and complain talk. That's excellent advice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, if anyone listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you out there, what's the best way for them to find you? Absolutely. They can actually just go right to my webpage. It's markafrench.com. And from there, they can find all of my social media, email links, and I would love for anyone to reach out. Always happy to share experiences and, and learn more about what's going on in my profession. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, just remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.